Hello and welcome to the very first Left Block podcast. Uh, my name is David Gibney. I'm your host for this one, uh, although it'll be more of an informal conversation than a than a, a formal panel. Um, with me, I have Stefano Nulon, who hosts the trademark uh, Belfast podcast, A Worker's Guide to Everything. We have my co-host from the week at work, Claire O'Connor. We have the host of a new podcast coming out, hopefully next week, called Offshore, and that's Emma Clancy. And we also have uh, Professor John Barry, uh, who's going to be talking about a climate change podcast that he's been working on. Uh, on top of that, I should mention that Emma has a, uh, a website, the Irish Broad Left, that she's been hosting, and that's going to form part of this conglomerate as well, um, this multinational organization that we're founding. We, we want to use this podcast as a sort of a platform or a launch, formal launch for the coming together of all of these platforms. And so Left Block um, is a, a new sort of uh, coming together of all these podcasts and the news website, Irish Broad Left, which will become Left Block, um, where we're trying to challenge the Irish media and narrative uh, and how things are presented in some senses. But the whole project essentially is going to be about political economy education and political education and helping people to join the dots about the economic system and the social system and political system in which they are participating willingly or unwillingly um, and how it works and who it works for and who it doesn't work for. Um, and what we're going to be doing over the coming weeks is we're going to be launching a Patreon where we're hopefully going to raise some money and we'll be able to then use that money to bring the campaign and different campaigns um, about it, you know, making a, a Ireland a more egalitarian society. We want to use that resource to go around the country to do political economy education in communities, the, the length and breadth of Ireland, uh, about the key issues that are relevant to people right now, including climate change um, and housing and healthcare and education and, and COVID and workers' rights. We're all trade unionists, we're all lefties, um, unashamedly so. Uh, we believe in a different type of Ireland, a different type of society, um, but we can only get that if we agitate, educate and organise. And this is our attempt at the education part of that. And we'll maybe perhaps move towards the uh, agitation a little bit more and the organising a little bit more as we go down the tracks. But Stevie, you've been central to some of this stuff from the start. Can you tell us a little bit about Left Block and what you believe is going to happen with the project? Well, I'm glad to say, Dave, that I have no clue because it's kind of an organic project. Um, I'm happy to be involved. I'm happy to see where it goes as it develops. I do know that it's a we want it to be a kind of pluralist space, a space for lefties of various traditions to come together to talk about uh, the issues that we all face. Where it goes and what it develops into, I don't really know, but I kind of like that about it. And I don't think it should be overly prescriptive either. I think it should be kind of developmental. And But as long as it becomes a a space where people can come together to talk in a comradely way and debate and learn from each other. We we kind of started doing this kind of uh, in old school face-to-face -face political education training about eight years ago. And I know John Barry was there, the first one in Lusty Bay, County Fermanagh, when we had a, a political school. And we invited all sorts of people to that school from all sorts of left and Republican and green traditions as an attempt to kind of, well, it didn't work, obviously, but it, it kind of set in motion this idea that we need to be talking more on the left um, and le less sectarian and less gutting each other and less fucking attacking each other rather than attacking the system that's killing the life support systems on this planet. And as John knows, as you know, Dave, you've been out in those lusty big political schools had quite a good impact. I mean, they created a different atmosphere and it, um, uh, it created a different way of talking and, and being together and building relationships across the left, across this island and indeed with the island next door. I mean, John, you were at them. What did you think of them? What was your first impression of those lusty big events? Because I suppose left blocks, are, for me, in my head, is an outplaying of, of that attempt to create a non-sectarian left space. Well, 
Well, like many of us here on the call, I've been an activist for a long time, but also an academic. And, and it has to be said that uh, some of the most informed and analytically astute, particularly analyses of the crisis of capitalism, the climate crisis and so on, and some good sessions in the pub afterwards I've ever had, have been down at Lusty Beg, or very fond memories of that, we should call it, not the left block, call it Lusty Beg, I think, in terms of uh, honouring its origins. But particularly, you know, to pick up on what your, um, yourself and David was saying, the importance of political economy education. I, I think there's a real need and a, um, a hunger out there for people to understand what's going on, you know, in the world. Why is it that, you know, we see uh, already the drum beats for austerity or a carbon tax and so on? And is that the only options available to us? So as well as, you know, cross-fertilization of ideas from our own different perspectives, I feel it's um, opportune now. We do need to have particularly for working class communities, an analysis. Because I think, as you both discussed in your respective podcasts, that the rise of the right on the island now is particularly worrying. Um, and I think, as Dave said in one of his podcasts, you know, these ordinary punters turning up to these anti-mask uh, events, they're not fascistic or necessarily, but they're looking for answers. And they're not going to get them from, you know, folk like us. I'm not saying we're the, um, you know, uh, the only people they can get their analysis from, but the left needs to be able to get its uh, views out there and the last point I'd make is that and it picks up on something that Claire <clears throat> was saying before we came on air, is the importance of challenging the dominant media narrative. You know, what's not being talked about, what's not being said. And I hope at least, you know, the left block, uh, you know, collectives of podcasts can begin to offer a variety of different perspectives that people can choose from. And not simply, you know, the, uh, the one-size-fits-all analysis that the, that the mainstream media is putting out. Yeah, Claire, I'm going to go to you next about this. Um, you've been an activist in a whole range of um, campaigns over the years. Tell us a little bit about your background and why you want to be involved in this project. Yeah, well, I mean, my it, I'm only really involved in activism a couple of years, pretty much after I had I have two young kids. I have a, a, a nearly four and a five-year-old. And it was, I got involved in volunteering just before I had them. That was with ICHH. Uh, and through there, I got involved with other campaigns, you know, around housing, a couple of feminist campaigns, you know, anything really got to do with poverty, social deprivation, anything like that. I found myself uh, gravitating towards my own background. I mean, I, you know, I come from a working class background, but I did. I grew up around a lot of addiction and poverty, homelessness, uh, domestic violence. So I've seen the consequences of bad governments, bad policy, a bad political system. But it really wasn't until the past couple of years and I got involved in activism that I started to meet people that were involved in politics the, the political side of it. I mean even years after I did a couple of years ago I finished a degree in social science but didn't really come away with any um political understanding you know I could I could explain to you what different ideologies were but that was pretty much it had no real um knowledge of the Irish history of politics or the different parties you know just had a pretty basic understanding so yeah I was always more interested in the social justice side of things activism community you know organizing that kind of thing but uh yeah, I was lucky enough to just meet great people. And then obviously I went on your show a couple of times. You asked me to to co-host and I love talking to people. I love, I feel like I am at the start of my political education at the minute. Like I don't feel like I have the level of theory or understanding or knowledge that everybody else involved does. But I feel like it's people like me that we need to be kind of bringing into the conversation. It's people like me that we need to um, be having the conversations with because it's I'm the same as John. I think the rise of the right and I think we've really seen an, an acceleration over the past couple of months of people of the danger of people not truly understanding the impact of politics on their life. And we need to be able to see deeper. I 
uh, Stefan talks about this in a couple of his podcasts that uh, he always brings it back to look behind the story, like go deeper into what's actually driving this and what's connected and just ask those questions about, you know, just beyond the surface level. But you need the understanding of the political system to do that. And you really do need that political education. And I think that to be able to help provide that in an accessible way would be my dream for this whole project. And like that, create a space for people to just engage and ask questions and get involved and just have those conversations. Yeah, I think you touched on a really good point there about the understanding. I think, by the way, First of all, uh, I think we're all in a learning process. Anyone who thinks that they've got all the theory or understands everything is is it, it, they're the people who are extremely deeply flawed about all of this. We none of us have all the answers. We're all still learning. I'm still on a. I wasn't born a socialist. I wasn't born a lefty. It's life experiences and it's 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 the political education that Stevie, John, yourself, Emma, all of my interactions with different people. And I'll move to Emma now uh, because. I've known you, Emma, for nine years now. I was only counting this up earlier on. We worked together in trade unions over in Australia there um, almost 10 years ago. Um, you've been doing some tremendous research uh, on the EU and what's been happening over there. And particularly when we came into COVID, um, your report around uh, the cuts that were demanded by the EU of certain countries in relation to their healthcare system. It's just, it's not something that's told to people. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that report and then tell us why you're involved in this project and what your agenda is for your podcast? Yeah, sure. Well, um, uh, the the main kind of focus of my... I'm, I'm based in Brussels at the moment. I've been an activist, as you said, in Australia. We, we emigrated there from our, from County Leash when I was a kid during the, the 80s, 90s recession, <laughs> before the big housing boom. Um uh, so I've been, I was involved in, in, you know, left campaigns in Australia for years, but when I, I I've also been an act, I was an activist in, in Belfast as well. And, and now I'm in Brussels in the European Parliament with the GUI NGL group. So that's the coalition of, it's the, Euro, the European United Left slash Nordic Green Left. Um, you know, it has uh, parties like Podemos and uh, Bloco Esquerda from Portugal and Syriza from Greece and uh, Sinn Féin, but also, um, you know, uh, Claire Daly and Mick Wallace. Um, so, you know, the, it's the, the far left um, or the left of the Social Democrats in across Europe. So that's been a brilliant learning experience as well about, you know, the various uh, campaigns and uh, strategies and tactics that the left are using around Europe. Um, but I think there's a real problem in particularly the Irish media with this whole kind of narrative of, um, you know, the European Union was the best thing to ever happen to Ireland. Uh, and, and you even get kind of, um, yeah, you get some of this sort of debate around Brexit. Obviously, Brexit's going to be destructive for Ireland and, you know, uh, enforce partition, for example. But I think it's really crucial that the left actually maintains a very uh, fact-based kind of analysis of, of the nature of the European Union. And it's a fundamentally neoliberal institution and it takes every opportunity that it can to force neoliberalism. Uh, often they have very, you know, more than willing par partners and they certainly do in the Irish government. Um, but yeah, that's absolutely uh, a major problem that you have um, legal restrictions on say for example you have a left government in Ireland you will have serious legal restrictions uh, on what a left government can achieve because of the nature of the European Union um, but going into the left block um, 
I mean, a, a few of us over here in Brussels uh, over a year ago, so February last year, we set up, we initiated Irish Broad Left in collaboration with um, activists in mainly in Belfast. And, you know, we're from a whole range of different backgrounds. There's been around seven of us involved. Um, but we've, you know, it's it's not a huge project, but it has been very, very interesting and very successful. I would say it's had more than a hundred people contributing from all, all of the different kind of left and left of center parties, but more importantly, you know, activists from social movements and, uh, you know, academics with certain areas of, of research. Um, so we're hoping to, we, we've discussed it and we're really uh, excited about this left block project. So we want to fold, fold in, you know, Irish Broad Left in, to be part of the um, the broader project. And then, and then the initiative that we're taking is to set up uh, a new podcast called Offshore, which will focus specifically on the, the, you know, the world of economics and finance from the left. So offshore meaning, uh, you know, in, in, the finance, in a financial uh, sense, offshore, it doesn't necessarily mean the Cayman Islands. It means a place where the, the normal rules don't apply. And that's absolutely the Irish state. Um, so we'll be looking at the Ireland as an example of an offshore financial centre and how, uh, you know, the impact that that has on Irish society, wages, industrial development. Um, but again, to try to understand where and how power is held in the economy so that we can we can challenge this. And that kind of feeds into what um, what all of you have been saying about the rise of the, the far right and their uh, the appeal that they have with people who are frustrated and alienated and don't actually understand, you know, the the reason why they why they don't have any power uh, in society. So we're hoping to launch this next week. We'll have some really uh, excellent, um, yeah, excellent guests talking about all the major kind of topical debates going on. And like for for example, you know, modern monetary theory, the the concept of degrowth. We're going to be looking at all of these issues. Um, in the in the offshore podcast hey stevie i'm going to come to you next just to tell us a little bit about your podcast and how that podcast overlaps with the actual work you do in trademark in terms of political economy education um tell, tell us a little bit about your experience in political econ economy education and what the podcast does oh well our political education work started really in 2008 after the global financial crash and we were approached by groups we were working with initially in belfast who, who kind of came to us and said you know, what the fuck just happened and can you explain it? And we said, well, go back to your trade unions because that's where these people came from and they'll tell you because they have the capacity and the resources. And then it became clear to us very quickly that they didn't have the capacity and the resources to teach political economy. And we did a survey of trade union education in Ireland and then in Britain and there was none, practically. There was nowhere you could go to learn about how the world worked. And I was kind of shocked by that because up until that point, our work was solidly in the peace process, anti-sectarian work, dealing with conflicts and factories, working with ex-prisoners. And I just assumed that work was was going on somewhere. And so we started teaching. Um, it, we became a kind of big fish in a very, very small pond because there was no one else doing it. And we got an invitation by your union. Dave Mandate was the first trade union in Ireland that approached us to come down and work with its members back in 2013, 14, I think it was, to teach political economy classes. I remember our first class with your officials, and they near shit themselves, by the way, when we came into that. And we did a full day on them with left political economy. We even mentioned the name Karl Marx came up a few times. I think we mentioned James Connolly a few times as well. So um, I'm not sure how well that went down, but <clears throat> we were invited to stay in mandate. And we spent the last six years working in, in the union all over the island. Um, 
And of course, that segued into the right to water movement, which I know you might want to talk about more. But our experience in the right to water movement was that political education works, that when you get groups of people in a room who don't come from political parties, who don't come from third level education, who are just normal punters, uh, and they're full of weird conspiracy theories sometimes. They might be anti-vaxxers, anti-taxers, free men of the land, all sorts. That, that kind of whole group there that's actually segued off into the fucking anti-mask mob. We had some of them too. And when they listen to logical, rational, fact-based information based on left political economy, you can you can win them over. And I think we did win them over. And that, that was a really interesting experience with the right to water. Because Aditya Chakrabarti wrote an article in The Guardian last year and it was called um, What Happens When Working Class People Learn Economics? And the answer was it changes them, and it changes them for good, and it changes them in the right ways. Uh, so since then, we've been kind of plugging away at it in our own little way. We mostly now work with British trade unions, not Irish trade unions. I'm just going to throw that one out there, apart from mandate. There's something, there's something going on there. We need to look at it in more detail, perhaps, Dave, another day. And then the podcast thing came up, and we were kind of, you were one of the ones kind of, telling us you should do a podcast. We didn't know what a podcast was. And then Clem, Clem Bradley, who works for the Creative Workers Club, he was encouraging us. So we did a few of them, but we didn't take them seriously. And we did a few of them and we had a few hundred listens. And, but then lockdown happened. Um, and I suppose 50% of our work disappeared overnight. Um, we had nothing to do almost for the first three or four weeks of it because everyone was in that kind of weird period of everything just stopped. So we just started knocking out these podcasts and they became very popular very quickly and we got really good feedback from friends and comrades and we were throwing out like propaganda posters with them and the kind of social media campaign. And then we realized belatedly that podcasts are simply another form of political education. They're different. It's a different format for us. It's a difficult one for us. I like working with people. I like being physically in those spaces and I like building relationships with people and kind of Freirean style of education. But podcasts in this context are just another way of doing it. Um, it's one way, unfortunately, you don't get much feedback, but it's just another way of encouraging people to listen to what we have to say. We don't have all the answers, as you said, but we think we've got interesting things to say about the world we live in. And that's kind of where we are now with it. But I do hope to go back one day in the near future to face-to-face to -face work as well and being with people in those spaces and, and working with people and organising, as Claire said, through that political education because the two, for me, are the same thing. On that, I'm going to go to you, John, next to tell us a little bit about, well, not, not necessarily the podcast that you guys are going to organize from a green perspective, although I do want to hear some of that stuff. But tell us what brought you, what, what in, gave you enlightenment? What brought you to the space that you're in now? And, you know, you, you, you're a great man for anecdotes. You can tell us our, our quotes as well. Throw us a few of them uh, and help us to understand the world in which we live in. Because you're one of the, the few of us, there's only two of you really that work full time in education. Um, so you're one of them. So educate us. Well, thank you very much. And um, it's partly out of frustration with my own institution, the thoroughly neoliberalized modern academy. I mean, people have a very mistaken view of the, the modern university. It's simply there now to commoditize education, to uh, provide oven-ready graduates. There's a nice little phrase for you um, in terms of what uh, the modern university is about. And for me, I've been as welcome as a fart in a spacesuit in my academic career. I've been the, the only green in the village, uh, only socialist often, um, arguing particularly against the way economics is taught in, in formal education, which a lot of you know, ordinary punters wouldn't know. What's been taught is propaganda. It's the ideology of capitalism. It goes by the name of things like you know, neoclassical economics or Keynesianism. And it's disgraceful, if you look across even higher education, the lack of pluralism. And this has been something that I've been doing for a long, long time as, as an academic, as a kind of a, almost like a lone voice. So there are a few more now coming on, kind of uh, heterodox uh, economists. 
So for me, the, the podcast format is partly a way of probably venting some of my frustration uh, and really trying to, uh, you know, um, show people that actually this nonsense we're seeing uh, about, you know, austerity being the only way we can pay for coming out of the pandemic and so on, um, showing them, as, as Emma said, like modern monetary theory certainly has been a, an eye-opener for me. Uh, another one that I know Stevie uh, has done a lot of work on and, and he introduced me to is the whole community wealth building idea, you know, more bottom-up, whereas modern monetary theory is more of a, a nation state. And so for me, it, it, um, I've had to question quite a lot of my own assumptions, I think, and this is a discussion I've had with Stevie over the years. The left on the whole has completely forgotten about finance up until very recently, and yet it's absolutely crucial now to understand the financial system and financial uh, capital. And for me, actually engaging with uh, Stevie and those lusty beg debates, I, I've now become much more Eurosceptic, uh, even though I was a, a, a Ramoner in 2016. And indeed, I remember having discussions with Stevie about, yeah, it was the Remain and reform and being critical of TTIP and so on. But actually now, having listened and opened my mind to really understanding the thoroughly neoliberal constitutional nature of the EU, I'm much more open, as I always was. As I, you know, I, I, I understood and respected those who had a Lexit uh, position in the referendum. And actually, I think now they're probably called it right. I, I, you know, um, I've yet to see a credible reform programme. So that's partly me um, being open in a way to change my, my mind on that particular issue, which has been quite significant. But also, just finally, I have realised that the left as a whole has left behind uh, their working class communities. I am, oh, this, this may be controversial, I am concerned about the shift to identity politics, that that's the only thing that the left is comfortable talking about and to the neglect of class politics and political economy. So for me, I think part of the Brexit uh, phenomenon of those former working class heartlands of Northern England, it, it was a, a result of Blairism as far as I can make out which I always say, and I'll finish on this other throwaway comment. If you do an anagram of Tony Blair MP, it spells I am Tory plan B. Uh, and therein is the, is the whole issue. Uh, I, I'll come back again if you want me. I'll talk about what we have for the ideas of the podcast. Okay, that, great. Thanks. Well, maybe I'll go to Claire next. But before I do, just to say, you know, my, my own journey, I'm not going to talk too long about this, but, you know, coming as a shop steward and, you know, I'm post the postman, um, and then doing my own training courses in the evenings. Everything was a big development to me. And I would have been similar to you, John, in, in, in trusting the EU and thinking it was a good thing in, in uh, now, probably a lot longer ago. But the, 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 the narrative that we're fed about how great the EU is, is, it's just in the papers every day, essentially. So that sort of thing is what woke me up. And particularly when I was in Australia and I was campaigning for a carbon tax over there which was a different type of carbon tax it was only on the top emitters and big corporations and emma you'll remember this period of time where tony abbott who's now the brexit trade um, commissioner whatever his position is he was um he was the op leader of the opposition and i remember in canberra in the parliaments uh, where all the the their members of parliament had their offices outside of every office had they had pinned up um, a bullet points, three or four bullet points, which was about how the carbon tax is fucked. And what it, what it was was saying, the carbon tax is going to cost jobs, the carbon tax, and it was only like one sentences. And every time you saw a, a Tory MP speaking, you'd, they'd, you'd ask them, you know, 
what do you think of the healthcare system, this, this, the, the, the budget for the healthcare system? And they'd come out with, well, the carbon tax is going to destroy the healthcare system. Everything was about that. And I, it was only then that I realized what was happening with some of the media, that they just regurgitated the same thing over and over and over and over again. But th that's not how it always used to be. And this is from my own historical research, you know, in, in Mandate Trade Union's basement. There's a big library. It's got all of the minutes and all of the journals from 100 years ago. Um, and I remember reading an article, Stevie, you, you, you might remember this one. But one of our shop stewards wrote an article in 1921, a shop steward from Arnott's who wrote, Who Controls Credit? And the article was about the financial sector and about how currencies and how currencies were used as a, a means to control um, labor. And I was just blown away that the fact that these are retail workers, shopsters who did their own political education and it empowered them. And these, this is the generation that created some of the great you know, benefits that we have today in terms of when you think of, you know, the, the social democratic benefits of, you know, uh, unemployment payments and pensions and all that sort of stuff. This came from grassroots. This came from the ground, from activists learning their trade, learning what was happening to them, not just in their own workplace, but in broader society and in the economy general, generally. So, I mean, that, that's one of the parts of the journey that really enlightened me was reading up on all of those, you know, really inspirational activists like Sissy Cahillan, who was a shop steward in Arnott's uh, and became president of our union at a time when women weren't allowed to be in unions in many instances. But anyway, I'm going to move on because Claire, I want to ask you about the Week of Work podcast. Um, Steve has talked about a, li a little bit about his his podcast. We'll come back to, to John and Emma's talked a little bit about hers. But tell us a little bit about the Week of Work and what it does. What, what's the format and, and, and what does it address? Okay, so every Sunday, myself and Dave, um, I usually have two guests on and we have a look at the Sunday papers and the biggest stories of the week uh, from a left perspective. So we take a look at the headlines. We look at how they're reported, you know, what's not being said, uh, the actual implications for working people, for working class people, um, and what's, what's not being said behind them. So hopefully we, we kind of drill down into them and see in a larger, uh, on a larger scale what the implications for that are to, to real people. Um, I just wanted to touch very quickly on something that John said there because actually it's one of the reasons I'm so glad that this project is happening. When I hear the word identity politics, I get palpitations because uh, the, I've had experiences over the years where I've I've seen people that I respect be critical of identity politics, and I've asked, you know, in a what well, I think what I've thought has been a really open way, you know, what does that actually mean? You know, why are the like I do believe I I think we need to be talking about class more, much more. Um, but in terms of what are you asking people, and I'm not saying let's have this conversation now, but I think it's great that this space is here because when I've asked, well, what does that mean? What are you saying to people who are, say, campaigning or involved in activism around the individual issues that are affecting them right now? I, I've often just got a really kind of um, negative reaction back and people have shut down and haven't been willing to have those conversations. So I gen and I genuinely don't understand this. So I think I'm really looking forward for this to be a space to have those conversations across the left that often turn a bit combative because maybe people don't give each other, you know, the benefit of good faith or assume that other people are, aren't, you know, acting in good faith. But uh, yeah, so I, I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, that's something that I'm actually really looking forward to. But nice. on a Sunday, we cover the stories uh, from the Sunday papers. We look at the headlines, we look at the stories in the papers and the biggest stories in the week from a left perspective. And we get, sometimes we have politicians on, sometimes we have activists, sometimes we have, um, 
you know, just people whose perspective you don't often hear on the radio or in the newspapers. And that's one of the things I'm most interested in is, you know, hearing the perspective of people that have experience in activism and campaign in our politics uh, that aren't being platformed. Okay, uh, great. And before I come to you again, Emma, I want to ask Stevie, because I just, um, there's another podcast that we haven't mentioned on this that's going to be part of the group, Newell and Oak. Um, can you just give us a bit of an explainer about what that podcast is? And yeah, just tell us who's involved as well. Yeah, can chat us Janime showing a Lego do shuttles and Chin Janime Meredata and Podcrea Ella, Aaron C. Show and Nolan Nog and Tanya Air, Tan Dram Show Dini Oga, as Dura as Sangalia Vas Belfurst Shilam, August Basil Kaiser, Tassel Kaiser, more question a social to Palachula, Holter Her, Finchanga Ernoi, a winning Gamorlis and Ashog and Yerna, as a foot in the Crinia, and Tashe Kurlike Er Onion New Line, um, Andrew McShakas, Killian McCaba, August a podcast er Sus in you, August as we can see the Emanirishka, Kyotoro Gidor, Jukonel, Tashi into Jazz, get the Kyol, get the crack, get a couple of orange come away. So I'm at the Simagan in Gaelic, now I'm at a fallen Gaelic, now I'm asking it to be the Gael, Jen Kinchiga, Eshin Shivla, Lishan Pod Krulu, and make sure you listen to it and share it, even if you don't have any Irish. And if you don't have any Irish, fucking shame upon you. Um, cheer again, Changa, cheer again, Anna. And one other thing I want to say is uh, all the people involved in this kind of Irish language podcast, they're all like lefties and musicians and Gaelic wars, but they're also the, the people who are behind the hashtag Misha Foster campaign, which is uh, the Me Too campaign in the Irish language, which was set up this summer. Uh, and it ended up, I think they were an RTE, there was a primetime program with some very brave women stepping forward talking about sexual abuse and sexual assaults they'd suffered in that kind of opaque world of the Irish traditional music world uh, and uh, that campaign they've been nominated actually for a national fairly prestigious national award in the Oroctus this year for the best Irish language campaign so if you don't know about that there's an Instagram site hashtag Misha Foster you should uh, look what they're up to and follow it so I'll leave that there so and it's Newell Nanog N-U-R-L-L-N-R-N-O-G for those of you that can spell or can't spell rather so that's it carry on Dave back to you in the, off- back to you in the studio Thanks, Stevie. Uh, I'm going to go to Emma again now just to tell us a little bit more about um, the intentions of the news website, because we've spoken about mostly about the podcast stuff here. But um, and I, I, I've written for Irish Broad Left in the past. Um, I know some of the other contributors here have as well. Um, it's a brilliant website, gets really in-depth in certain um, topics. Can you tell us a little bit about that going forward? Have you got any intentions for broadening that, expanding that, and how it links in with the the overall project? Yeah, well, we want it to be basically the, you know, the, the whole idea of left block, as far as I understand it, is we want to be a hub. We want to create a hub where not just the, like all, all of us and our organizations who are already kind of in touch with each other and supporting the project, it, you know, there's loads of other organizations and individuals and activists on the ground in Ireland who are probably, you know, really interested in this project. And uh, I would hope this, yeah, this podcast should be an invitation to them to to get, you know, to reach out to us and uh, we'll try to reach out to you, of course, as well. Um, but yeah, Irish Broad Left, I mean, as I said uh, earlier, it was kind of set up as a, an initiative from a few from a few friends, really, just an informal initiative by friends in uh, in Brussels, I, you know, Irish people mainly working in the European Parliament leftists, uh, and you know, c- collaborating with um, friends and contacts and you know, fellow activists on the ground in Ireland. So, we you know, we made a conscious effort to kind of reach out to 
uh, to representatives of, you know, all the kind of left of centre political parties. And we were quite successful with that. So I think, you know, everyone from people before profit to the, to the CP to Sinn Féin, Labour, Social Democrats, the Greens, they, they all, um, they were all contributing. But it, it, it was really interesting to me because they weren't saying, you know, the representatives who contributed to Irish Broad Left weren't saying, this is our party line. They were individuals within, you know, activists within the party who had a specific area that they wanted to talk about and they wanted to educate people about and they wanted to raise the profile of a campaign. So that, yeah, that was great. And I, I would hope that that can continue um, and, uh, you know, expand, obviously. But the, the real uh, benefit of Irish Broad Left was that it got to provide a voice to, you know, um, people organising anti-racism protests on the ground, you know, people organising mobilisations against the far right, community activists and organisations who don't get a voice otherwise. And, um, you know, I think I think there's a kind of huge untapped potential there really for, for a website that can do that across the Irish left. Uh, and the, the other thing is, I mean, we were talking before about, you know, political education and, uh, you know, providing a class-based analysis. And I think that's, you know, we, we vitally need that at the moment because with political parties and, you know, electoral challenges they face and, you know, they're trying to distinguish each other from, you know, the party from another or, you know, they make a compromise in a certain area. And all of these things can have a distorting impact on the political education process and on political debate. And I think, um, yeah, left block should be a hub where we can provide that very consistent class-based analysis, what is actually objectively in the interests of the working class. Um, and the other thing is, as well as, you know, as well as all these podcasts, obviously, I, I've been writing articles for years, part of, you know, um, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a hugely important kind of, uh, you know, area for the left. Um, but th this is the moment to do, to do it, because this is the moment that it's been developing, obviously, since the, the global financial crisis in 2008, and, and what came after it. But ev everything, you know, everything has changed. Like, so we're, we're talking about a completely, all, all of the old kind of, uh, theories about uh, taxation, inflation, you know, monetary policy, they've all, they've all just been, you know, proved to be completely wrong. The left has been saying they've been wrong for years, but now, you know, objective reality has proven them wrong. And um, now's the time for, for bold ideas and bold kind of organisational work to actually put forward these new ideas and, you know, do it consistently in a way that's not compromised by uh, whatever kind of you know needs of the day, uh, and and do it in a way that promotes unity, unity, but you know on the basis of kind of as Stevie was saying earlier, you know comradely debate and comradely discussion. Um, so yeah, it's you know we, we take we take submissions, we want to turn it into the the left block uh, platform. So if you're listening to the podcast and you, you have a kind of campaign you want to raise the profile of or an issue you want to talk about, then certainly get in touch and make a submission. Great. Um, that, that's brilliant. And one thing I think is missed on the miss, missing for a long time on the left is that like a lot of groups have podcasts, a lot of groups have their own websites and stuff, but there's not, there's not really a huge amount of cross pollination going on there. The people aren't working with each other. And part of that is down to electoral politics, which is great that none of us are running for election. As far as I know, we don't plan on getting involved in that side of things. This is uh, simply a political economy sort of a, 
a process, um, an education process and a campaigning process. Um, John, I'm going to come to you again about this and ask you about your podcast because I, I, for a long time, time have been looking for and unable to find really good podcasts or information, accessible, easy to understand information on climate change. Um, the world is burning around us and yet still we're not getting the information in an accessible way. Everything is... Uh, is very highbrow when you're reading these reports and pe- most of my friends and family and all they, they hear the word just transition and they go what the fuck is that like um, so can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and the agenda that you guys have and who's going to be working with you on it uh, well maybe I could just uh, link back to um, Stefan quite rightly language shaming us those from Ireland who have lost their own native language and in a way it relates to what I hope the focus of our podcast is going to be I remember doing my Irish oral back a long time ago, and the word that I remember, and Stefan will tell me if this is the correct way, is defustiate, which I think means unemployment. This was the height when, in the 80s, early 80s, so I'm getting show my age now, doing my leaving, sir, that the uh, Irish unemployment was about 20%. And this is what I'm from a working class area of North Dublin, if you know the film and the, the commitments, and Roddy Doyle, that's all where I'm from, Kilbarrick and uh, Edenmore. And this is what we were taught in the Irish world to talk about unemployment, which is almost like when I look back at it now, describing our own conditions as working class kids. Um, and so I always have had this strong class analysis, um, but it's often been missing from my chosen politics, which is green politics, which is often the educated, guilty urban middle classes. And it's always been my aspiration as a, well, A, a recovering politician, you know, full disclosure, I was a in the molehills of power here in the north in the most unionist dominated council for seven years. As Stefan knows, I was a strapping six foot seven man when I started out and now I've been whittled down to this hobbit type little uh, disgruntled creature you see before you. And I'm done now with electoral politics as, as a result of that experience. But for me, um, I've always aspired as a self-professed Marxist lentilist for a working class environmentalism, because many of the policies advocated by by Greens, even Green parties, will benefit working class people, but they're presented in a way that's either hectoring, elitist, um, and it's also, and this again is something that I've I've learned from Stefan, there's a kind of a negative, sacrificial austerity element often to Green politics. It's It's about denying, you know, you can't have consumerism, which I agree with, but I don't think that's the way you present it. You know, what about uh, looking at, you know, a, a, a green, sustainable economy as an economy of affluence, an economy of prosperity, um, but not one based upon individualized consumption. You know, certainly my own view, it should be about, uh, if you want a nice throwaway line, for me, uh, a, a just transition and a green economy is the socialization of production and democratization of production as well. Now, that's not going to make much sense to most ordinary people. That's a fancy academic way of describing sharing things. You know, let's have more libraries, more public transportation, uh, rather than private cars where people are are forced to, uh, you know, uh, in, in long commutes and so forth. So for me, the aspirations for this podcast, which we're tentatively calling the ABCs of green politics, is to essentially, Dave, do what you've asked at the start there, how to take away all this abstract scientific language. This is not to be Luddite. We're not rejecting you know, the climate sciences there, but that tons of carbon and words like sustainability mean feck all to most ordinary people. What they want to hear is good jobs 
And for me to go back to where I began with Defo State and, you know, my abiding memory of my Irish being marked by the high unemployment of Dublin, also the massive drug issue in my community at, at that time, they're the two abiding memories of my experience as a working class kid in, in the 80s in Dublin, is, is really to see how we need to, you know, bring about a different language for, and essentially for me, it's about jobs now. That's why I'm a, a post-growth economist, I think. The idea of economic growth continuing has long outlasted its, its usefulness. And what ordinary people want actually are jobs, good public services, you know, decent uh, wages and, and conditions. So for me, quite a lot of what I hope our podcast will do is to push forward that post-growth or, you know, non-growth uh, jobs first, uh, you know, socialized economy. I mean, we, we cannot... Um, allow the free market to move us into a, um, a low-carbon green economy. It has to be planned. We need to plan the retreat from fossil fuel, and that requires the uh, you know the state to flex its muscles. And the last thing I'd say is that we probably will, as many of us in our podcast, will focus on the lessons from the coronavirus uh, response. I mean, to me, there are some positive dimensions. The state can move quickly. Money can be found, uh, and so on. So actually, it's almost like that the coronavirus is a warm-up act to helping us deal with the, the bigger issue. And lastly, part of our podcast is actually to, to educate Green Movement and Green Party members on this island and beyond. And it's amazing how, how naive in their political understanding many Green Party members are. They're often, in my experience, uh, they, they come at this from a very scientific point of view, which is fine. But sadly... A scientific point of view with our political economy leads to elitism. It leads to this kind of expert top-down uh, approach, which is singularly inappropriate. So does that internal view as a way of building a bridge between the, the green movement um, and, you know, the labor movement and other, you know, progressive socialist, um, you know, forces on, on the island? Right. Well, look, we're running out of time here, so I'm just going to wrap this up. Um, just as a final sort of shout out to to what what the project is about left block um which we're launching now and we'll be you know having developments over the, and, and more people could be coming on board over the coming weeks um i just want to say that the whole point of this project again as, as you've gathered from the podcast is about political education we're all activists and to explain this um what, what the money is going to be used for we're launching a patreon um, none of us are getting a, a wage out of this. The money is solely going into political economy. We're going to be rolling, sh almost like roadshows around the country, talking to working class people and empowering them. And as John um, Barry put into the chat there, you know, he talks about knowledge is power. And what we're going to be doing really is empowering the working class. That's the hope. That's what we want to do. Give them the the, the, the strength to to fight back against the system that's oppressing them. And I say that, I say that as a trade unionist, and I think it's something that's not really discussed by trade unions. I can't, a lot of people in Ireland and around the world believe that trade unions can solve the problems that they have in work. They don't solve it. Collective action of the people who are the members in, a, in an employment, they're the ones that have the power. And if we can get enough workers to stand outside on strike, that's what wins wage increases. That's what wins whatever you're looking for, whatever the demands are. Me as a trade union official standing outside a business I will never win anything. It's impossible. They're not afraid of me. They're afraid of ordinary working class people being educated, having the knowledge and taking the action themselves. And this is what, this is what the project is all about. So um, we want to arm the working class. So keep an eye out for our podcast. There's The Week at Work hosted by myself and Claire. There's The Trademark 
podcast of a week worker's guide to everything uh, there's offshore by emma coming up very soon we've got the climate justice podcast by john barry and then we have newell nanog an irish language left-wing podcast too if you want to contribute you can go to patreon.com forward slash left block uh, and help to make us a, a sustainable project and also join us on the journey as we try to make ireland a fairer more equitable society Thanks, and we'll talk to you all very soon.